This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to Hey YA! From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA! is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA! is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording this on May 5th. Hello, Erica. Hey, 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 Tirza. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing great. I don't know what season it is because... The weather is all over the place. But other than that, like, I don't know how to dress for each day. But other than that, I'm chilling. I'm chilling. Layers. Layers are pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I feel you. It's like, you know, that time of the year when everything is exploding in green and pollen. And I'm just so happy that it's warm some of the time. So can't complain too much. Fair. Although I'm also getting hit with the pollening. (laughs) <laughs> the great pollinating. The great yes. pollinating of 2023. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, I'm armed with Flonays and Zyrtec, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. yes, that is the one downside. But I'm excited about spring. I'm excited about summer very soon. Mm. Like, it's going to be all the good things. Do you have any, like, summer traditions that you like to do? Mm, that's a good Good question. I mean, I feel like every year I get really excited about the idea of pulling out a summer reading list. And it is just like, you know, things that I'm like, I'm going to finally read this this summer, or I'm definitely going to read this this summer. And I don't always stick to it because I'm a mood reader. But one thing that I am excited about is a couple of years ago, I got a hammock. Um, And this was when I was living in an apartment when we didn't have a yard or really any outdoor space. But I got a hammock anyway because, I don't know, I've just always wanted one. And I lived in a town. Yeah, and I lived in this town where, like, there are tons and tons of parks. And the park board was, like, totally fine with people just, like, putting up their hammocks on the trees in the parks. Nice. So I would make a point to, at least once a week, try to, like, go to a park and hang up my hammock and just read in my hammock. And I had my favorite trees and my favorite spots and then I moved and now I live in a town where like I think if I put a hammock up in in one of the parks they would be like what are you doing you can't do that <laughs> so I've because I've, nobody does it here and I was yeah. just like ah oh. but I have a backyard now so I like to I have a hammock in my backyard and that is nice because then I can hammock anytime I want within the privacy of my own backyard so I'm really excited for it to be nice enough to put out that hammock and do some outdoor reading that's awesome. I Now you got me thinking about hammocking. Ha- hammocking. We're going to make that a word. I want, like, I guess you have to find trees that are like a good, dis- like the right distance apart, right? Yes. It's kind of like tricky to find a good spot, I feel. I mean, when I was living in Michigan, which is very wooded, it was not mm, hard. Right. Living in Iowa, which is not very wooded, right. <laughs> it's a little bit more difficult. Because, like, even, like, the trees in our – because we do have not as many parks as my last town. But we actually have a nice park system because we live on a lake. And 
being that it is Iowa and it is mostly cornfields, like anytime that there's a body of water, Iowans get real excited because they're like, oh, that's different. And so my town actually has a bunch of parks all around the lake. But even those parks don't have nearly as many trees as, as like my last you know, town and last park system. So it is a little bit difficult. You have to find like the right width and the right length apart. But I mean, I say this as somebody who spent like entire two summers of like, it was COVID. So like I had nothing better to do than like take my hammock and be like, I'm going to find a spot to stake this in a park. (laughs) Um, You get pretty good at like being like, oh, that'll work. And oh, that's a good length or that's a good pace apart. And yeah, you make it work. I'm going to, I'm thinking now that I, that I want to partake in that. Because, like, I'm also a mood reader. But I feel like they're, well, I was going to say summer and winter are two seasons where I like, they like, they have their own vibe for books. Mm-hmm. Like, a summer, a summery book for me is going to, you know, take place in a, like, either during the summer or in a, like, a summer-friendly place, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then winter too. Winter, I want to read something like kind of warming and cozy, but also maybe takes place in winter. Yes. So hammocking while reading a summer book in the summer sounds very fun. I'm I'm interested in that. That'll that'll that's that's a good idea. <laughs> I I approve. Yes. And if you don't have trees or or anything that like you can hook a hammock to, I because my backyard I only have one tree. And you can buy hammock stands if you have an outdoor space that you can. And so, yeah, I bought a hammock stand. You can buy, like, really cheap ones or you can buy really expensive ones. I bought, like, a medium, you know, costing one because I I don't want to fall on my butt. But I (laughs) I was also, like, not willing to spend $200 on a hammock stand. Okay. (laughs) But, yeah, you can buy, like... Yeah. Yeah. You can buy a hammock stand and like the one I got it, like it comes down, like it breaks down nicely into pieces that you can store in like a little duffel bag in the summer or the winter. And then you just put it back up and it's perfect. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to look into that. Puts on my list. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into our news and our topic, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. 
unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Erica, you rounded up some great news for today. Yay! So, Seattle Public Library announced very recently that they are going to partake in a program called Books Unbanned that was started by the Brooklyn Public Library in New York City. And what this entails is basically granting access to their entire digital collection. It's like thousands of ebooks and audiobooks. Um, they're granting access to their collection for like the youth the kids, mm-hmm. the young people. Um, the ages, I believe, are, yes, 13 through 26, which is actually a bit of an expansion from the Brooklyn one. I think the Brooklyn is like 13 to 21. Yeah. And this is in response to book banning. So if you're interested and you fall within those age ranges and you're anywhere in the United States, you can basically go to their website and apply. It looks like a, um, a fairly like kind of short application and you can get your digital books unbanned library card and have access to the Seattle Public Library's digital collection, which I think is awesome, amazing. And and I like that it's not it's not just the banned books that they're granting access to, but just their entire their entire collection. Their entire digital collection, I should say. That is pretty incredible. And I think, you know, Seattle Public Library, it's one of the larger library systems mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. And especially the counties around Seattle, like that is some of the most like affluent like library systems in, yeah. the, in the countries too. So it's great to see them do this. Um, although I hate the reason for it. <laughs> so same. And I would add to that, like if you um, are a teenager who's looking for access to books and your public library is not cutting it or your school library is, you know, getting rid of the books that you want to read. Do not discount, you know, services that you can find in your own state. Like, for example, Iowa has a statewide overdrive system. And everybody, anybody who is a resident of the state of Iowa can access Bridges, which is our overdrive system. You just have to have a library card from a local library, um, which you should be able to get at um, any library in the state. And that gets you access as long as that um, local library participates in Bridges, and, and most of them do. So don't discount like local and statewide resources. But if there is you know, that's just unavailable to you, then I think what Seattle and Brooklyn are doing, it's just wonderful, amazing. I have a question. I guess um, the overdrive system, I thought the overdrive was going away. Does it translate to Libby? No, it's the the overdrive app is going away. So overdrive is like the company and the platform 
for selling books to libraries to make them available for their okay. patrons. So previously you could access your your current like your overdrive system, your overdrive library through either the overdrive app or the Libby app. And the mm-hmm. overdrive app came first and it was honestly a little bit clunky and old. Yeah. And so they updated it a few years ago to the Libby app. And why on earth they didn't just like keep it all in one app and just like re you know update overdrive and redesign it is a mystery to me. I think it's because people were just like set in their ways and they wanted to just kind of, you know, start over and do something new. But since then they've decided to sunset the overdrive app. So if you want to access overdrive on your digital devices and not just on like the desktop or um, in the browser, you have to download the Libby app. Gotcha. Okay. But it's all one system or all one company. So yeah, I was also confused on why they were separate, but I was like, I, I thought I had heard the overdrive. Libby is still going strong. Libby, Libby's Libby is great. Good. I Libby love is Libby. Great. I love Libby also. Yes, I know. I know. I think, honestly, I think what it was is like they knew that they needed to make certain updates, but librarians were kind of cranky. They're like, we like overdrive. Don't change it. And so they're like, okay, here's a new app. And I was like, oh, no, you guys. <laughs> There's been a schism. and <laughs> It was not good. But um, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I feel like I've done a lot of explaining about this in my day job lately. So I'm happy to explain it on the podcast. You get a little bonus here. I appreciate it because it's a kind of like a re- it's a fairly recent thing. And I was like, I didn't have a chance to read up on the distinction. I knew Libby was, you know, good because Libby is, like you said, a pretty good app as it is. So I appreciate the explainer. Yes. Um, yeah. They've been they've been threatening to get rid of the Overdrive app for ages, and I think they just finally were like, okay, it's no longer going to work after May 1st. Although I do have friends who are like, my Overdrive app is still working. And I was like, yeah, you're, you know, it might not last for long because I did have a patron come in and she said that she had to, she had to switch because it, it hers stopped working. And she mm-hmm. was really sad because she thought she lost all her holds, but she didn't. So there you go. You have no excuse not to switch. <laughs> there you go but yeah so this is um again as like you said it's a terrible reason why but it is also great that there is more access i would love for more libraries to do this across the country yeah yeah and i mean i think that obviously the challenge is money because uh, yeah you definitely. don't just like buy a book and have it be like a one-time cost and then like okay now it's just in your digital library forever most of the ebooks and audiobooks i mean audiobooks tend to be more like perpetual use license where you you know they're really expensive up front but then you have them mm-hmm. for a long time or for you know ever but ebooks i mean the last time that i was purchasing ebooks in the overdrive marketplace like they were pretty expensive and expensive. they yeah. had a 26 circulation limit so you had 26 that's ridiculous yeah and i mean people think that that's really awful because it's like digital it shouldn't necessarily you know th- there's it's not like you're going to have wear or tear like it's a digital file yeah. like you should be able to access it perpetually but i think publishers are thinking you know you do replace old library books by buying new books. It's not like, you know, you buy a physical library book and then all of a sudden like that is, you know, could be read by thousands of people over yeah. the course of time. Um, so I do kind of understand where the publishers are coming from, but I also understand where like the libraries are coming from. And from an access standpoint, I'm like, seriously, 26 circulations. But that's about the number of circulations you can get out of an adult hardcover book before it starts really? to fall apart. Yeah. Yep. 26 I did not know that I was gonna say I I also agree like 
publishers wanting to still make a decent amount of money. Well, I don't know. Decent is relative, but still wanting to like profit off of that digital copy. It just seemed like 26 seemed kind of low, but I didn't know that that was the the number for physical copies. That's interesting. Yeah. And it might vary by like library to library, but I know that in yeah. every library I've worked in, like if you, if you have something that's circulated like between 20 to 30 times, like it's probably time to replace it, especially if it's still going out because it'll start to show it's where, and like, and if it's kids books, it might even be fewer circulations. Yeah, kids are hard sense. on books. That yeah. makes sense. I, I recently did a report at my library where I did a report for all of the picture books that had 40 or more circulations. And it was a short list, but I was like, oh my gosh, I got to go find these books. And they were rough, let me tell you. Yeah. So, gotta yeah. Get those out of there. There's a little bit of library, you know, behind the scenes for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So did you have anything else you wanted to share with us today? So we do have a new Book Riot podcast. So Book Riot co-founder Jeff O'Neill is exploring the wide bookish world with interviews, lists, rankings, retrospectives, recommendations, and much more. So make sure to check it out. It's called First Edition. It's going to be available wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify, Apple, or your other podcast listening tool of choice. We will give a link in the show notes. So definitely check that out when you get a chance. Yeah. So today we are going to be discussing Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month here on the podcast. And Erica and I were kind of talking about this, you know, before we were recording the other day about like, we don't always make a podcast episode around every heritage month that crops up because like, we, you know, our, our goal is to read diversely. So it's not like you're only hearing about Asian American and Pacific Islander books during the month of May. Like you should be exactly. hearing them about them from us all year round. But also we, I don't think we've done this topic um, in a few years. So we decided that we wanted to this year. And mm-hmm. it is a good time to stop and think like, have you read a good YA book written by an Asian American or Pacific Islander author lately? So, yes, Asian Pacific American um, Heritage Month is, I think, you know, what the title of the month is, if you were to, like, look it up on, you know, the .gov website. But it's also important to consider that Pacific Islanders are a part of this. Um, And we both Mm. searched for YA books written by Pacific Islander authors. And it's not that they, you know don't exist it's just you know not as many and they're not very easy to find um we found a lot of or not a lot of but like a decent number of adult books but YA, this is like one area where i'm like oh why i could be doing a lot better on this yeah and i want to say too well i have beef i have beef with heritage months because (laughs) well i think they're necessary but with this one in particular i feel like it, I don't know why they put Pacific Islander with Asian people because I'm like, Asia is huge. Asia is, you know, it has so many different cultures and ethnicities and languages and all that good stuff. And I'm just like, why? And then Pacific Islanders aren't even with like within the continent of Asia. <laughs> they're in the Pacific, you know, the Pacific Islands. So like, I just feel like it's very flattening um, to put such 
different groups together. Um, just it, it just feels very crammed to me because I'm like to celebrate Asian um, culture within one month, the month of May, let's say. You're already going over a lot of different, like I said, cultures and ethnicities and different stuff like that. And I feel like in doing so, especially if you're, you know, book minded and you want to read more by uh, people who identify as AAPI, it, as you're saying, Tears, it just becomes harder to, I feel like Pacific Islanders get the shorter end of the stick with this. And Mm -hmm. then I also feel like people don't distinguish between, Pacific Islanders and native Pacific Islanders, because there are a lot of Asian people like of Asian descent descent in like the Pacific Islands, Hawaii, Mm -hmm. especially. So it's like, I think it's important to distinguish if you're if your goal is to read native Pacific Island literature, if that is your goal, if you don't care, then it is what it is. I don't know why you're listening, but it is what it is. (laughs) But if you (laughs) if you do care, there are a lot of like uh, people of like Chinese and Japanese descent in Hawaii and read their books too, obviously. But if you're trying to get a native perspective, then that you would still have to keep looking. Mm-hmm. And I, it was so hard to find yeah. YA by them. Well, and that's, that's, I think too, like you, you see a lot of stuff going on this month where, you know, people are like, oh, let's celebrate this Heritage Month. And it's not even just this one. It's a lot of Heritage Months where people t- kind of tend to flatten the wide range of, like, diverse experiences and stories mm-hmm. into, like, a single narrative or, like, more common narratives. And it's like, there's so much more to it than that. So, yeah, I get to what you're saying. Like, it's yeah i i tried really hard to try to pick books that were by authors of various backgrounds and countries and i know that you did too um but even like within that like there's still so much like variation and that this is just why it's important to read diverse books all year round and not just in a single month but we're gonna talk about this because yeah it's important definitely and i will say too that it is like this made me search for native Pacific Islander YA and I wasn't doing that before. Mm-hmm. So it got me together. You know what I mean? That Yeah, that is a good point. Like it is like these months are important because they do kind of remind us that we yeah. need to be aware. And like, yeah, I think if you'd asked me like, do you, do you read diversely? I would say like, Oh, I think I read pretty diversely. Like I'm not going to say that I can't improve in some ways, but like having this task did force both of us to do a little bit more research. And that was always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one more point on um, not finding a lot of Pacific Islander YA literature. I think you were touching on this, but it it really shows the lack of opportunity that Pacific Islanders face in general because of, um, you know, oppressive government policies and poverty and lack of access to education and writing opportunities. So that's important to highlight as well. Yeah. And I would even add climate change there as well. Because Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I would I feel like marginalized communities in general are more are disproportionately negatively impacted by climate change. But I feel like kind of even more so like Native Pacific Island communities are yeah. like even more so, definitely. Because some of their yeah, their their islands, their lands are like literally disappearing. So yes. that is terrifying. Yes. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there well, so many different things to touch on. So <laughs> just, many. 
Yeah. And in fact, um, do you mind if I, I start? Because I actually have a book that is about climate change. Absolutely. Perfect segue, Tirza. Perfect segue. I wasn't planning on talking about this one first, but when the opportunity presented itself. Absolutely. This is The Ones We're Meant to Find mm. by Joan Hay. And it is really like, mm, the cover is gorgeous. First of all, if you haven't seen the cover, Google it. Like, stop stop listening to us. Go Google this. Um, it, it is so pretty. It's so beautiful. It's like two girls um, sort of leaning into each other. And there's, you know, this cloudy sky behind them. And then there's these, you know, cresting waves. It's just beautiful. So... This is a sci-fi book and it is about C and she wakes up and she really doesn't have very many memories of like who she is or where she's from, but she's just on this abandoned island and there's hardly anything on this island. Um, Just, you know, some technology, some sort of abandoned machinery and parts and um, it's like they're like bots, little bots that have a little bit of sentience to them that she can kind of communicate with, but not really. And she has no idea what she's doing here, how she got there, what her life was before. But she does know that she has a sister and she feels like this deep need to get back to her sister. And she knows that her sister is beyond the ocean somewhere. And so her her mission is basically survival and then also trying to put together enough salvage parts to get herself off of the island. And then on the other side, uh, or the other half of the story is told from the point of view of Casey. And Casey lives in this eco city, which is kind of like um, a very sciencey city that is put together above like the actual like surface of the earth, because there are so many natural disasters on our planet that like it's not really safe for humans to live on the actual um, surface. And yet, like they've not been able to terraform any other planets. And so they just kind of exist in these big cities above ground. And they're, like I said, very sciencey to the point where every bit of human existence and movement is measured against like cost versus like waste of energy. And um, a lot of people spend their time in these like virtual reality pods where like you just sit there and you that's how you communicate because and that's how you spend most of your life because they've determined like it it costs too much um, and resources for people to like actually move around. And Casey is basically, you know, this really introverted person. And what you know at the beginning of the book is that like her sister Celia went missing and she has no idea where Celia went. And she so it's a little bit of a mystery where she's trying to solve like what happened to Celia. And it's especially puzzling because they live in this very technological world where like your every movement should be tracked. And instead, Celia just sort of fell off the face of the earth. And a lot of people just kind of want to assume that like, oh, she's dead. She's gone. But Casey's determined to find her. And as you start to read from Casey's perspective, you realize that like she is this like absolute science prodigy. But she did something that in order, like her punishment was so bad because what she did was so bad. Her punishment is that she is no longer allowed to do any sort of scientific work or research. And that is like her price to pay for being able to stay in these eco cities. And also she feels like she has a 
possible solution for this climate catastrophe that they found themselves in. But she knows that she can't actually make a move on it because Celia is like the missing piece to this. And so it's very mysterious. And um, I will admit like the first couple of chapters, you're going to be like, what is going on? How did these characters connect? Um, But if you just stick with it, like the writing is very lovely and it's very immersive. The world is like very different from ours, but it's very intriguing. And it's all building to a, like, I don't want to necessarily say like shocking twist, um, but (laughs) it's going to come together in ways that's going to make you go, what? So I definitely recommend it. That is The Ones We're Meant to Find by Joan Hay. Oh, my God. That's been on my TBR forever. I think I have a copy, actually. Mine, too. (laughs) I have literally, like, was, like, I've had this on my shelf since like the day it came out because yes it came out in 2021 and mm-hmm. I, I bought a copy and i have not read it until like we we're gonna do this podcast episode and i was like oh this is the perfect excuse i have to like actually finally read this book that's been sitting on my tbr and i highly recommend it yeah anytime there's like like i like science fiction and fantasy as it is but like throw that little that little hint of a mystery and i'm like ooh. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, so I am excited to read that. And that is a ring endorsement. So I have to bump that up the TBR real quick, fast. Yes. yes. Beautiful. Another beautiful cover is, or a, I should say another book with a beautiful cover is She is a Haunting by Trang Tun Tran. And this is like, it's beautiful, but it's also like creepy. Like yes. I feel like y'all see the cover and y'all are like, Erica said this is beautiful. She's weird. I, yeah, I am a little weird. It's But it's hauntingly pretty, I should say. Yes. So um, in this one, Jade lives in the U.S. with her mom and siblings and is trying to gather up enough money for college. So the thing is, her mother works hard and doesn't have much more money to spare for her. But her raggedy, estranged father does. He's This man is so raggedy. So this is the same father who left her mother and moved back to Vietnam So to say she's angry at her father is a bit of an understatement. And I mean, of course, like she has every reason and every right to be. But here's the thing. He's offering her the money she needs for college if she'll come to Vietnam and spend the summer with him. So, you know, Mans isn't winning any Father of the Year award anytime soon, for sure. But she agrees because like what other options does she have, basically? And she knows he's good for the money. Like he has the money. Um, So she and her sister go to Vietnam, and so does their mother, actually, but their mom stays in another city while she and her sister stay at their dad's, and her dad is renovating a French colonial-style house and um, planning to turn it into a bed and breakfast, and he (laughs) he expects her and her sister to help. Like, someone come get this man. For real. Yes, like, someone please come get this man whose man's is this as the kids say, because he's out of control. So he expects his daughter to help him uh, with the bed and breakfast after basically abandoning them. I cannot. I absolutely can't. But anyway, so this just adds to Jade's already well-developed resentment for her father. But And she's like, okay, you know, I'm trying to get this money. Uh, dude is getting on my nerves. Like, he's ridiculous. Um, and this trip, she, like, doesn't fit in 
to with Vietnamese culture. She's too American in America. She's too Vietnamese and she's also bisexual. So she's kind of just feeling like she's on the outside of things. Um, so this just adds to that like isolated feeling because it's just like another reason for her not to like this trip. But then she meets this girl, Florence, who is her dad's business partner's daughter. And she thinks like maybe not everything is bad, you know. Florence is kind of, you know, she's giving, you know. Mm. Except, <laughs> you know, a little, little, mm-hmm, little rizzy riz. Except that it is kind of bad because all this weird stuff starts happening in the house. Like she starts seeing things, having sleep paralysis, and there are all these like insects and insect parts where they sh- where there shouldn't be any. And there are these ghosts who tell her not to eat things. And it's just like all a lot. And as these things happen, it seems like Jade is the only one experiencing them. And I feel like this is a thing you see a lot in gothic horror. I think it plays well with gothic horror's connection to women, at least the gothic horror that I've come across that I've read. By that, I mean um, the gothic horror uh, that I've read is tied to like the house, the home, which is traditionally tied to women in patriarchal societies, of course. And I feel like oftentimes in these books, there is this element of disbelief, like people don't believe the main character who's seeing all these you know, wild things going on. And I think that is such an accurate comment on how women are believed or not believed rather in um, societies that are very patriarchal. So I think that's an interesting thing. And in the case of Jade's character in this book, her experience of not having other people see what she sees is like yet another way that she's on the outside. Like I said, she's not quite American enough or Vietnamese enough and she's bisexual and everything just adds to her feelings of like I said, being on the outside of like everyone else's experiences. So that's an interesting element, I think. All in all, this is a great gothic horror with an interesting and complex character. And it looks at the ramifications of colonialism and racism and gender and sexuality all in a very interesting way, I think. So. Oh, I was just looking at this book at the library yesterday, actually. And I was like, ah, I got to take that home and read it. And then I didn't. But now, now I have regrets, Erica. Now all I want to do is read it this weekend. I think you should read it this weekend, Tirza. I don't know. Something's telling me you should just read it this weekend. Yeah, that would require me going into work on my day off. But I might pick it up on Monday. (laughs) You know what? Maybe you should not read it this weekend. (laughs) Maybe you shouldn't. I take that back. Unless there's like an eat little Libby situation. Yeah, we're not going into work on our days off. Please no, please don't. Yes, I'll I'll check Libby. (laughs) Exactly. Again, she is a haunting by Trang Tun Tran. Pick it up, pick it up. Amazing. All right. um, So we're going to talk about a couple more books. But first, let's hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 
and she's like the best she's brilliant charismatic quick-witted funny they fall in love but the thing is she's number six so if he is to have seven great loves does that mean his time with elena is going to come to an end so this is a love letter to western pop culture eastern traditions and being a first generation new yorker make sure to check it out and thanks again to flat iron books publisher of 888 love and the divine burden of numbers by abraham chang for sponsoring this episode <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. My next pick was also another like, oh, hey, we're going to record this podcast episode. So I should finally read a book that's been on my TBR for literal years. And it is this time will be different by Misa Segura. And I just have to say, I love this author's um, first book. It's not like it's a secret. Um, So fantastic. And I'm going to give a little pitch for it right now because I loved it so much. It is about a teenage girl who um, knows that her dad is cheating on her mom, but she keeps it a secret from her mom because she's afraid of how her mom will react. And when her dad moves their family from Wisconsin to California, just so he can be closer to his mistress. No. Uh, yes. Talk about no. raggedy dads. Oh my God. It's a theme. <laughs> it is a theme. Accidental theme. An accidental theme. <sighs> Indeed. Oh my God. So um, she, yeah, she move. He moves his family to California so he can be closer to his mistress, and she's kind of like, "Well, now, shoot, maybe I really should tell my mom." <laughs> but she has a very complicated relationship with her mom, and she's hiding the fact that she is queer from her mom, and at the same time, she's you know just sort of relishing in California teenage life where for once she's not the only Asian girl at her school. Like she's Japanese American and she's meeting a lot of different um, Asian girls and has like her own little friend group with them. And they can like totally relate to both being Asian American and like their parents and the stereotypes that they um, see in their communities, but also the stereotypes that they um, sort of defy in their communities. Um, And then Mm. she falls for a Mexican American girl and, And that creates its own little drama because um, her Asian American friends don't understand why she would want to date a Mexican American. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really good. Like, yeah, just an amazing debut novel. So this is actually her second book and it's this time will be different. And it deals directly with um, the Japanese prison camps, um, Mm. but in an interesting um, sort of contemporary setting. So it is about CJ and her family 
her grandfather specifically had this flower shop in the you know 1930s and 1940s it had been in their family for quite a while and when um the executive order for all japanese americans to be imprisoned um came through her grandfather ended up selling it to a white man who you know basically cheated him he he sold it for Mm. pennies on the dollar and then when the japanese americans were finally freed rather than have like restitution or any sorts of of justice like basically they were sent on their way with like $25 and like Ugh. okay you're free now and um her grandfather went to try to buy back his business and this white man refused to sell it for, to him except for at fair market price which was like you know 10 hundred times more than what he'd actually sold it for so okay. her grandfather worked really hard in the next 30 years was finally able to buy back the flower shop and so that's kind of the backstory of this of this novel. And so now the book is set in 2018 or 2019 and um, her aunt runs the flower shop and she really likes it because she feels like she's, you know, not extra smart. She doesn't have like this amazing ability with like math or science. Um, she's not this coding genius. She's just, you know, okay at school and she doesn't have any specific passions, but she does like we're helping out at the flower shop. The problem is her mother, who is a venture capitalist, actually works for the company that was founded by the man who stole their flower shop out from underneath uh. them. So yeah, that's complicated. And her mom is like, look, the flower shop is not doing well. I've been bankrolling it for years. Like we should just, you know, basically get out from underneath it because the mom and the aunt co-own it. And so mm-hmm. she wants to sell it to the venture capital firm that's run by like the grandson of the man who stole their company and like or stole their flower shop. So it's like this whole messy situation. And CJ is like very fired up about this. She's like, how, how could you sell to them? Like, this is yeah. wrong. And her mom's kind of like, you know, that was in the past. You just need to like let it go. And CJ can't let it go. So she and a f- couple of friends decide to just, you know, send an email to a reporter and see what happens and it causes this firestorm of media about you know this this venture capitalist firm and its legacy and the white family that not only you know cheated them out of their business but a lot of other people and it makes things really 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 tough for her at home because her mom is like this is my job like you've just now made me really uncomfortable at work and to a certain point cj's like i don't care like we should be uncomfortable i want justice um and so it was a really nuanced look at how you know you have these families who are still very much affected by something that happened yeah 80 years ago but it's still important especially when we don't acknowledge it and reckon with it um and then you also have like the reality of the mom who at first i was not very sympathetic towards because i was also like yeah how could you just like basically betray your family and go to work for the man who who cheated them and and was you know so horrible um but then she talks about how she is an asian woman and a single mother working in a field that is very male dominated and all like the sacrifices and struggles that she you know has gone through to to, to build a successful life for her daughter. And so it's it's not a simple case of black and white and right and wrong. It's a lot of shades of gray and a lot of nuance. 
But I really liked the writing and I really liked the characters. And I also felt like this one had some really realistic friendship dramas that paralleled nicely to like the wider fate and story and plot of the flower shop but also you know how do we get along with people who have hurt us and who have said or done things that are you know homophobic or racist and like is there a way that we can kind of figure out a way forward and yeah there are no easy answers in this book but i thought it was really really compelling so that is this time will be different by misa seguro so that is an author that, that does messy situations really well it sounds like That's yes <laughs> yes that is the first book was a capital m mess and this one is also <laughs> yes. messy in a different way. Messy, but really intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, the good kind of messy where it's like, you know what? I didn't think of it like this before. And I also, like you, would probably be like, yeah, mom, how could you? But then mm-hmm. it's also like, uh, I'm trying to feed y'all and send y'all to school and stuff. So yes, a lot of t- a lot of times it goes back to capitalism. Yep. <laughs> Capitalism's the real enemy in this book. Uh, honestly. So that's that. That sounds really good. Okay, next book I have is Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Rebay. Um, so this one opens up with Jay, a half Filipino American teen who is at like a crossroads. He's like on the precipice of a major life change, but that life change being just, you know, growing up, going to college, he's a senior in high school. A major life change is going to be offset by a tragedy. So before he, like I said, before he goes off to college, there's this like, in the beginning of the book, I felt like there's this major sense of like, how should I describe it? General malaise or kind of like. Yeah. Like he doesn't know what he wants out of life and he doesn't feel excited yeah. about going off to college. And also like. Have you, oh, have you read this book? Yes, I love this book. Okay. Yes, there's a general sense of malaise. And it's like kind of a general sense of like kind of underlying, I don't want to say depression because that, you know, not fully blown, but it's, there's a sadness to it because like we we see him interact with his best friend. But then we also, he also kind of talks about how the two of them have never really been able to speak to each other about like real problems. Which I, which I find to be very depressing. Um, and that highlights an issue that I've read about before. And I can't speak to this issue entirely as I am not a straight man. But I have heard of that as being an issue for like cis hetero men and boys. And that is that a lot of them don't feel like they have people in their lives who they can really speak to and be comforted by and feel supported by. So I like that this book touched on that in the beginning. Um, but Jay also has connectivity issues with like his family. There's a sad story in the very beginning of the book of a pet passing away because it was sick and some in his family in the Philippines, which is where it happened, didn't understand him being sad about it. And then his older sister kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She sucks, bro. I'm like, what is her problem, though? If we're just being honest, I'm just like, I did not care for this girl. And I will I'll get to that to why I feel that way about her in a second. And then there's his dad, who is like very distant to Jay, despite being this like warm presence at the hospital where he works as a nurse. 
And there's also this like immense pressure placed on him by his parents concerning which college he'd be accepted to, even though they're like, oh, you know, wherever you go, it's fine. Da, da, da. But he like has an undertone, like this underlying sense of like, no, it's not fine. Y'all expect me to go to Harvard and Yale or Yale or something like that. So, so, okay. So that's the kind of touching on the general feeling that I had in the beginning, from the beginning of the book. So one day, and this is also in the beginning, Jay is playing video games and his dad comes to tell him that his cousin June died and that there will not be a funeral. So now June, I was going to say June is, June was about Jay's age. And the two actually used to be pen pals some years back. It's this pen pal relationship that Jay starts to turn over in his head when he hears about June's death. So Jay was the one to kind of phase out of that relationship, out of that interaction. And then he learned about June running away from home and like turning to drugs. And so when he asked his dad about why there wouldn't be a funeral, all the information, well, his, I think it was his mother actually that told him, his dad was kind of tight-lipped about it. Um, but the information he gets as to why there will not be a funeral for his teenage cousin is that it's because June's father, that is Jay's uncle, is a policeman and June was killed by the police because of drugs. And basically that June's father is like ashamed of his son. And June's death and his life honestly is is part of President Duterte's war on drugs, which the book mentions by the time it came out, this book came out in like 2019. Uh, the book mentions that the war on drugs in the Philippines had taken already taken like tens of thousands of lives. It was a ridiculous number. So like Jay, this is like, this unsettles him. This like rocks him, you know, to his core really. Um, and he starts to question things. And his mom is kind of just like, well, it's not my place to say. It's not my country because she's white. And I, and I guess like she's trying not to impose her own culture on another country, which is generally a good way to view things. But I also feel like if something is just wrong, you can say that also. Like, you don't have to be like, you know, in denial about it. And the thing is, a lot of uh, Filipinos actually think it's wrong as well, the war on drugs, but they get silenced. So there's that problem. So Jay's guilt surrounding how he ended things with June, which is to say he basically kind of just ghosted him, ghosted their little pin pal, you know, correspondence. And he never tried to find out if June was okay after hearing he'd run away. So he wrestles with his guilt and it leads him to convincing his parents to let him go to the Philippines where he actually plans to find out what really happened to his cousin. Like what were really the circumstances of his death? Who killed him? All of that stuff. So while he's there, he starts to connect more with his heritage. I mean, that's to be assumed because he's literally in the Philippines. But he also grapples with like all that entails as someone who is you know, half white and like American, really. Um, he also sees more of the effects of the war on drugs and how horrible it can be. And this book in general does a really good job of presenting issues like racism, classism, heritage, privilege, drug use, all those things. And it's like nuanced about it. I feel like it shows good and bad things. Well, some of these things don't have a good side, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. But like it presents all of that to you. And I'm just like, yeah, his family's raggedy, bro. Oh, why did I? Why, I forgot to mention why I said I thought the sisters like in the beginning. She was like, well, he talks about how they never really got along before, like before the book started. The book starts. He's like a senior in high school. She's already in college. But when he tells her about his cousin, their cousin having passed away, it's like he knows it's obvious she doesn't care. And she kind of makes light of it 
and she is she's just like she's just like kind of nasty about it to me i'm just like what is up with this girl but that is patron saints of nothing by randy rebay definitely really really good check that one out so it's sad too though so heads up on that it is sad and enraging, but it's such a good book. It's very good. I highly recommend it. And an interesting mystery, too, if you like mysteries. Yes, that's the thing. I was like, yeah, when you put a little sprinkle, a little mystery, I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, who did it? <laughs> yes, give Please it to me. me. Yes. Okay, so my next pick um, is actually a book by um, one of the very few um, Pacific Islander authors that I was actually able to find. Julia Del Rosario. Um, she is Chamorro and Filipino. And um, if you don't know, um, Chamorro is indigenous people of the Mariana Islands. So that is your fun fact of the day. And this book, 500 Words or Less, it is a novel in verse. And it is about Nick. She has a not so great reputation amongst her classmates at school at the moment. They have, you know, sort of ostracized her for cheating on her boyfriend, um, whom everybody just loves. And she decides that rather than, you know, being branded as the, the cheater for her senior year, she is going to try to get them back on her side by um, offering to write college admissions essays for them. Um, and so she goes to a school where like everybody's just obsessed with like Ivy Leagues and getting into the Ivies. And so um, she has this nice little side hustle where she is writing these essays for people and they are liking it and her plan seems to be working. But over the course of doing so, she is sort of losing faith in like who she is and who she wants to be. So this was a really lovely book. I listened to the audiobook a few years ago and um, really enjoyed the audio. Again, it's a novel in verse, so it's a quick read um, and it's very lyrical as well. And I also know that this author has written another YA book called Turtle Under Ice, um, which I have not read yet, but looks so, so good. So again, that is... 500 Words or Less by Julia Del Rosario. Awesome. You know, I love books in verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially reading, listening to them on audiobook. Right. And the, yes. The, funnily enough, the next book I have is also Pacific Islander. So I don't know. We, you know, our minds were communicating with each other. So this one is titled Juniors by Cowie Hart Hemmings. And it is about Leah, who is a junior. Surprise, surprise. And she has been moving around a bit. Like, her mom is an actress, so her lifestyle isn't the most conventional. So they move to Hawaii, and Leah starts going to this really prestigious school. Uh, but she feels isolated. Uh, while she is part Native Hawaiian, she still doesn't know quite how to navigate her new place in this new place. Like, her the new school and just like, how does she relate to the locals, but also her fellow students, et cetera, et cetera. So her mom ends up accepting this rich family's offer to stay in their guest house. And suddenly she's like hobnobbing with the Wests, which is the rich family. Um, and they are well known on the Island, but the arrangement is messy because how could it not be? Um, it's messy because 
while Leah is feeling like the positive effects of being associated with Whitney, who is the West's daughter at school, she doesn't quite like how Whitney interacts with Danny, who is another half Hawaiian kid who Leah has been friends with for a minute. That's like the bestie. And Leah is also really into Whitney's brother, Will. Too many W names. That's another conversation. She's interested in Whitney's brother, Will, but he's in a relationship, but that doesn't stop her from being interested in him, if you know what I mean. So messy, messy. Um, Then there are the adults. Eddie, who is the father of the West, he used to date Leah's mother, Allie. And then Melanie, Eddie's wife, wants to parade. She starts like parading Leah's mom, Allie, around to like her friends and at events for clout. So all of that is going on. So Whitney, even with all of this, like this messy kind of like real housewives type of stuff going on, Whitney and Leah's friendship actually ends up developing in interesting ways. As does her relationship with uh, Will. Okay. You would think, I feel like sometimes, you know, books fall into the trap of like, oh, the the wealthy white white rich girl like this is how she's going to act and i think leah and whitney's relationship is more realistic like it doesn't fall into that trap of like you know that trope or whatever i should say and so seeing how their relationship develops is interesting and so this book in general is just a good look at how relationships at the stage of life develop and how they play out uh, like I said, Leah is a pretty realistic character. She's annoying in, with her actions at times, uh, just as she is mature at other times, which I think is pretty realistic. I think we all kind of are like that as teenagers. Um, and the description of the setting and local culture really pulls everything together. I feel like for those of us who don't live in tropical paradises, this would really hit as a summer read. You know, get your hammock out and all that stuff as we were talking about earlier. So definitely pick this up for a... I look at relationships and stuff on a tropical island. It's again, Juniors by Cowie Hard Hemmings. Nice. That was not on my radar. So thank you for that. All right. I'm going to quickly go through my last pick. Um, my last pick is Ronnie Patel in full effect by Sonia Patel. And um, just a heads up for abuse, including sexual abuse. So if you don't want to listen about that, you can just peace out now. I totally understand. This is about Ronnie Patel. So um, she um, is uh, Gujarati and they, she and her family live in Hawaii on um, Molokai. And she has a very dysfunctional relationship at home. So her parents are very much like traditional. They believe that basically the husband or the father is the head of the house. He says, you know, what he says goes. But her dad is abusive um, towards her. And that includes, you know, sexually abusive. And she catches him cheating on her mom um, with a woman who is not much older than Ronnie is. And um, she makes a bold move, which is that she shaves off all of her hair um, because in in India, widows, that's what they would do is they'd shave off all their hair. So it's kind of a, uh, like I said, it's a bold move and... It's obviously the action of somebody who has been seriously, seriously hurt. But she 
is now sporting this very bald look, which a lot of people find really appealing and sexy. But she also wants to be um, a hip hop performer. And she's very, very, very good. And um, so that gets her a lot of attention because all of a sudden she's got this bold look. She's performing and she's very good. And she gets the interest of an older guy who is too old for her. And um, he's starting now putting the moves on her. But as she is, you know, finding success in her performance, she's also finding confidence in who she is and what she deserves. And so ooh, this book, it's very hard hitting. It's sometimes rough to read, but I loved it. The writing is really excellent, especially, um, you know, as she, the writer or the author, Sonia Patel, is writing Ronnie's um like her her lyrical performances, I was just really Ooh. blown away. Um, so yeah, it's oh, it's so good. And this one was put out a few years ago by Cinco Puntos Press, which is a really great small press that's putting out some really amazing YA books. So don't sleep on them either. But um, yeah, that's Ronnie Patel in full effect. All right, I'm also going to zoom by my last one. And again, we have parallels. This also involves abuse, not sexual abuse, but like within a relationship, like like emotional abuse basically um and the main character is also named ronnie and she's also her parents are from india so this one is titled american betia by anurada d rajakar so ronnie's indian parents have forbidden her from dating um so obviously she dates anyway but this isn't just about her dating and having to sneak around but rather it's who she dates because he like super sucks Bro, like he's terrible. Um, it's this tattooed art student she catches checking her out. It's a white guy named Oliver, and his race is is important because you will see soon. Um, so she's not used to getting attention and stuff like that. Like I said, she's not used to dating, and I honestly think that is part of the beginning of the issue she faces in the relationship because all Oliver clearly fetishizes her, and it's obvious that she is this like exotic thing to him rather than a fully fledged human being and you know a girlfriend um she's not immediately hip to these things like she hears him say the things to her obviously but she doesn't immediately see them as red flags but then he asks a little too much of her and his racism gets worse so he like kicks it up a notch basically and then she's like i cannot I can no longer deny that he's actually kind of terrible. So then she goes to India for summer and she has like more time to come to grips with who she is and what her so-called love doing air quotes around love, what her love means for her. So this looks at unhealthy teen relationships, racism, and like things like gaslighting, which really super like boils my blood but that's part of the unhealthy relationships part. So I just think it's a just an interesting look at all of those things. Again, another nuanced look at things. So I think definitely worthy of checking out. Again, it's American Betia by Anurada D. Rajukar. Yes. Oh my gosh. So that is basically our show. Um, we could keep talking because uh, we... We would definitely could keep talking, but we will not because um, we're going to run out of time. But quick shout out um, a few other amazing Asian American authors that I love and we love Elizabeth Lim, Stacey mm. Lee, Melinda Lowe, mm-hmm. Mary H.K. Choi. They're all great. Go check out their books. 
But yeah, that is that is it for us. So thank you so much for tuning in. Please feel free to leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts because that lets us know how we're doing and it helps others to find us. You can also always email us at heyya at bookriot.com. Um, don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish, including um, Jeff's new first edition podcast. And thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thank you to audio editor Jen Zink for making us sound awesome. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at, at Tears of Price. And Erica, how about you? On Twitter at Erica underscore easy E underscore. Awesome. Well, we will be back in two weeks, but until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.